listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, I'm Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 92. It is August 8th, Sunday, August 8th, 2021, and I am thrilled, as always, to be behind the microphone. I've been wanting to get at this episode for a handful of days as I've been watching the news come out over and over and over again that employers across the country are making vaccination a requirement of employment. We've just seen this huge push. Now, the government has just been grinding and grinding and grinding on this. They don't have enough bully pulpits available for as hard as they've been pushing for everybody to get vaccinated. On top of that, you're seeing really big companies, giant corporations, uh, you know, quasi-governmental organizations and so on all say, hey, look, if you want to have a job, you got to get the jab. And I have a real big problem with this. But before we get to that, before we get to that, I want to go back into history and I want to talk about something that you're going to roll your eyes at. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back into history. We're going to talk about a historical precedent within living memory. And then we're going to jump forward to our current day. And then I'm going to give you some things at the end of this discussion that you can do specifically. This isn't just me ranting and raving. This isn't just a deconstruction. We're going to talk about what can you do to push back against this. So here's the thing. We've heard for the last number of years when Donald Trump and his folks were in office, we heard about Nazis. Boy, did we hear about Nazis all the live long day. We just heard Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. Donald Trump dictator, Donald Trump Nazi, Donald Trump just as bad as Hitler, Trump voters Nazis, racist, white supremacist. It just was, it was just like this nonstop litany. We've heard it. And to the point where it's like, you just roll your eyes. It's like anybody that doesn't agree with me these days now is a Nazi, especially if you're a lefty. If you're a lefty or a prog, a progressive, anybody that doesn't agree with you must be either a Russian bot or a Nazi. And it gets old after a while. Now, we've had this two-year national nightmare that is the, the, the COVID's quote-unquote pandemic. Now, for what it's worth, COVID's a real thing. I've had it and, it, and it was tough. I mean, I had a tough, rough, rugged couple of weeks. Now, I have been sicker before, I, I'm going to tell you. Not the same symptoms, but uh, I've been sick a number of times. I'm in my mid-50s. I've experienced some ups and downs. I had some really wicked flus. Uh, I had one in, in, in Africa. Actually, twice in Africa, I've had a flu that both times was just really rugged, really rough. And uh, where you kind of wish, <laughs> wish you were dead. Thank God I didn't die. But COVID was rough. And there were specific things like losing the smell and the taste was really weird. Uh, you know, I did have the breathing issue. I think the second week got really tough where... I started developing a wheeze and then, you know, breathing became labored. And then there was a day there where I think my wife was pretty worried. I was a little scared, got to be honest. And we pulled out the other end of it and we got through it. We had some good um, guidance from a great friend of mine, uh, Dr. Frank Muller in South Africa. Frank kind of gave us some direction, some inf- insight and some support. And he was just amazing. And he helped get us through it. And uh, y- And so I'm not out here saying COVID's not real. I'm not one of these people that say that. That said, if you look at the data, if you look at the actual science, not what scientists tell us, but what what the science says, you will see that it's not that lethal. It is dangerous for a very specific segment of the population. Anybody over the age of 70 with comorbidities, you've got trouble. Everybody else 
your odds of dying from this thing, you're more likely to get killed in a car accident than you are by COVID. And yet you don't see everybody making cars illegal. You don't see everybody saying, stay off the roads, don't drive. My God, we wouldn't even suggest that. People are dying more from things like diabetes and so on. The other thing that we're seeing, and this is just a little bit of a side comment, but I just want to, I want to kind of emphasize this because I think it brings into context the rest of the discussion we're going to have. The other thing that you see is, you know, I, I would talk to people like, well, where did the flu go? Oh, well, you know, it just, it just, we didn't have any flu this year. It was just COVID. You know, people, people are so, I got to tell you, and if you're one of these people, I forgive me, I love you, but people are so stupid. Can I just say that? I mean, I, I love people. I, I don't want them to be peop- to, to be stupid. I don't want them to be people. Was that a slip? A little Freudian slip there? The truth wants to come out. Uh, I don't want them to be stupid, but they're so stupid. When, when confronted with something so obvious and so strange, rather than go, well, hold on a second, this kind of calls into question some of the things I think, or this calls into question some of the things I've been told or that I've been believing let me back up and rethink some of this. No, they just go, well, I, I don't know. I guess it just must have disappeared. And it was since, like, did COVID and the flu sit down and go, hey, look, this is my year, okay, flu? You step off. I'm, I'm the big guy in town. You scram. This is, my, this is my world now. You beat it. If I catch you infecting anybody, it's over for you. Like, was there some kind of mafia discussion between the flu and COVID? Was there some type of trade deal? I don't think so. Well, now we know. We know that the PCR tests could not differentiate between the flu and the COVID. (laughs) So a good number of the people, because we we can have years where 60,000 plus people get the flu or I should say die from the flu, not just get it. We have years where 20, 30, 60,000 people die from the flu. So that right there, the fact that the flu disappeared this year and so many people had COVID and so many people died from it tells you that uh, now that we know that the PCR test could not differentiate between the two, that we had the flu and people were dying of the flu, but we were saying that a flu death was a COVID death because we just were not making the distinction that the test wasn't doing it. And we didn't seem either politically, socially motivated. I don't know what, I mean, I have my opinions, but we didn't seem motivated to want to know. And so we're sitting in this world where we're being told, my God, we're all going to die. Now, if you start looking at the numbers, we had a terrible first year. A lot of people died, but but you can easily understand kind of the result of the first year if you look at a couple basic things. First of all, any, you know, we, we also know <laughs> that what I'd been saying for a year or two, and, I've, and others like me uh, have been saying that this uh this virus came out of a lab. Now, I, I, I had an episode, I don't remember what number, I think it was like Billy Occam's razor, you know, kind of riffing off uh, William of Occam or Occam's razor, which is often the most simple explanation is the right one. And there were all these cockamamie explanations that a, that a bat from 500 miles away from Wuhan, someone got, somehow got brought in and transmitted and now we're all, the whole world's dying. It seemed a bit manufactured, a bit unlikely for me. The more likely explanation was, you know, right down the street is this big virology lab where they were doing gain of function research that, you know, uh, whether on purpose or not, uh, Anthony Fauci and his department was funding, you know, directly and indirectly. So, yeah, you go, that's obvious. So if we take that this thing probably came out of a lab, meaning it was manufactured, we, we added some juice to this thing to test it. It got out by accident. I'm not accusing 
the chai comms of trying to take down the world. That's stupid. I mean, I think that they would, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that they would do it that way. I just, I just, so anyway, this thing gets out as, as they do. And, um, we know from experience that when mankind manufactures something and it gets out into the wild, that each successive iteration of it, as it starts to multiply, you know, you have these generations of this thing, kind of one dies out the next, it loses some of its potency. It doesn't gain, it doesn't become a bigger monster. It usually kind of reverts back to its more natural wild state. So I was saying early on, like this thing, as it runs its course over the next year or two, is going to become less and less lethal. The other thing that we know, and this is just, you know, evolutionary biology. Now I'm, I'm coming at you as a conservative Christian, so I'm not even going to, you know, argue for evolutionary biology. But if you're, if you believe in evolution and science, evolutionary biology teaches that yes, a virus will become more, uh, easy, like more, um, infectious, meaning it's easier to get infected. But if it does that, it will become less lethal. And here's why. The virus wants to live. It wants to be able to propagate. And if it becomes super infectious and super lethal, it's going to wipe out the species, which means then it has nothing. It has no host. It's just destroyed its host. And so what happens in biology in the wild is if something becomes more infectious, easier to catch, it becomes less lethal. Yeah, it'll make you miserable. It'll make you wish you were dead. It won't kill you because it needs you to live. It needs you to procreate and create its next generation of hosts. And so we're seeing these things happen. We're seeing this thing become more viral, uh, sorry, more um, easy to catch and less lethal. The Delta variant is not killing people like the news is trying to make you believe. Just look at the numbers. It's just not doing it. Yeah, lots of people are getting the Delta. Lots of people are not dying. So the first year, you can explain a few ways. One, if this thing came out of a lab, it was pretty virulent and it was pretty lethal because it was juiced up. It was man-made. Number two, we, we really didn't know what we were dealing with. And so our reaction to it, I don't mean just as a society, but the medical, the, the scientific and clinical community's reaction to it was a little misguided, let's say. We've discovered, and everyone, you know, no one wants to talk about this anymore, and fine, I get it, but we're not trying to blame anybody. We didn't know. It's no one's fault. You don't know. There's no one that should hang for this. We're trying to learn, but by throwing everybody on a ventilator, you kill them. The thing that COVID does to your chest, when it gets it, it's all the scar tissue. It makes it hard to breathe. It's it's like really, it's it stiffens up the tissue in your lungs so they can't expand and contract and can't bring in and capture oxygen like they usually do when it's nice, soft, uh, uh, moist tissue. What COVID does is it makes it really stiff. You put somebody on a ventilator, you essentially burst their lungs. You kill them. And so what we see, if you start to back up a little bit, you see a more virulent, meaning more lethal virus that was juiced up in a lab. You see the kind of, you know, unintended mishandling by the medical and uh, scientific community because they just don't know what they're dealing with. The only way that they can know is by doing, by, by working, making mistakes and learning. And then you see a population that is obese, that has cancer, that you've got the baby boomer, we've got a massive population that's pretty old, 
so you start to look at these numbers, you put all these in together and you add in there that the flu is in that number. We just don't know how much. We could have had 10,000 people die. We could have had 100,000 of the 600,000 that were flu. So you put all this together and you realize, yes, you're dealing with a real problem. But the problem is not exactly what it looks like to you. Now, add to that the media hysteria, and it's not just hysteria. These freaking guys are making a killing. I mean, it's just like COVID all the time. Nonstop COVID during the Trump administration, during the Biden administration, like people are just glued to their television. It's just nonstop. It's like a train wreck. You just can't look away and they know it. And uh, so, so moving forward, you've got the whole COVID thing. And I just, I'm just questioning the numbers. I don't mean to say it's fake. I just told you I had it. But if you look at this, you go, is it really as bad as they're saying? Now, this Delta variant that everybody's wound up about, they never tell you the death count on Delta, do they? They often talk about, oh my gosh, it's so infectious. But if you go back to evolutionary biology and you talk to real evolutionary biologists, they will tell you that, yeah, infection rate goes up, typically um, lethality. And that's my word. I don't think they use the word lethality. Maybe they made that up. I don't even know if that's a real word. But, if, but the, it won't kill you. It needs you alive. If it's infecting lots of people, it tries to keep more alive than dead. Okay, so here we are. So now we're being told that if we want to have a job, if you want to hold a job, you're going to have to get injected. And if you don't want to get the injection, and by the way, we're talking experimental, not been approved by the FDA. And at this point, even if it gets in, approved by the FDA, there's so much um, lack of trust in the government, government institutions. And this is before, I mean, you know, the left attacked government as soon as Trump took over, oh, worst ever, not going to take this vaccine if it comes out of the Trump administration. Like, you know, they just undermined everything. As soon as they took over, then they expect everyone just to jump on board and go, okay, well, the good guys are in charge. Government must be fine again. Like somehow on one day when you hand over the, the wheel, everything must just be better. And at this stage, I think a lot of us are having issues trusting government, trusting government institutions, trusting government leaders. And I'm not just talking about Joe Biden or Donnie Trump. I'm talking about people down in these various agencies. And this has been going on for a long time. Go back to Nixon. Go back to the Obama administration's IRS department that was sitting on conservative organizations, applications for not-for-profit status. I mean, go back. I mean, it's just... This stuff has been going on for a while, undermining the trust of the people in their government. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the history, living history of the world, especially the Western world. There is a kind of political ideology called corporatism. We're going to come back. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about this corporatism as a political ideology, a little bit of history around it. Then I'm going to come back to to today, what we're looking at today very quickly. And then I'm going to give you some things that you can do. I'm going to give you things that you can do about the situation. It's not going to save the world. These are very real things that you can put into practice that will make a difference if we decide to do them. So there's a political ideology called corporatism. And essentially corporatism, and and it's been kind of a favorite ideology of fascist regimes, uh, um, socialist slash communist regimes. It's, it's a way of organizing a society. And what you do is you create these corporate groups. Now, you and I hear corporate in America or Europe, and we think of 
corporations. You know, we think of the Apple Corporation or Kodak. Nobody thinks of Kodak. Sorry, Kodak, but nobody thinks of you these days. Uh, but they think of these corporations, you think of stock markets and big giant corporations. But think of corporate just meaning like groups, corporate bodies of, of, of people collected together. And so what corporatism tries to do is it tries to organize a society by corporate groups, meaning like you've got an agricultural group, you've got a labor group, you've got a military, business, scientific. You get these kind of guilds or associations. And so your society is ordered around groups. So like in the U.S. and I think in Europe, you might have multiple agricultural groups. But in communist China, and, and you know, some people argue that China is not necessarily corporatist, but in corporate in, in communist China, in modern day China, you will have one kind of group that represents agriculture. The government will not entertain other groups. And so this group, this kind of association or representative group will say, we represent all of agriculture in our country. And so we will advocate uh, and work with the government. We'll advocate for our members and try to find like this peaceful, harmonious uh, equilibrium between agriculture, the government, between business, between science. And so you kind of organize your society around these corporate groups. Now, all these groups, if you think of these groups kind of as the outside of the wheel, the center hub is the state. It's the government. So you have the government in the center, the state, we'll call it. And then you have all these organized groups. So you, you have a group that represents business. You have a group that represents labor, meaning workers. We think of things like unions. So in America, you've got multiple unions. You've got auto workers union. You've got the Teamsters union. You've got the meat packers union, all these unions. But in a corporatist society, you have a union that, that will represent all labor across the country. So you start to get this idea. So, you know, countries like Italy, so uh, Mussolini, you've probably heard of Mussolini. He was really erudite when it came to fascism. He, he Before the war, I mean, he was really regarded by a lot of American intellectuals. He was kind of a darling. He was a really great writer. His writing was inspirational, some of his speeches, and he was he was regarded like as a man, a, a man of letters, a man of thinking. And he had this concept of fascism. Uh, where you start to kind of militarize your society towards a goal, not necessarily militarize, meaning we're going to fight everybody, but you kind of take almost like this war footing, this war mentality, and you organize your society around these corporate groups so that you can mobilize them towards the common good of the state and by virtue, the people in theory. And so Mussolini was a big proponent of fascism. And of course, Nazi Germany, another corporatist, a state where they started organizing around different groups, uh, these different corporates, corporations, if you were corporate groups. Um, and even the U.S. under Wilson be became kind of fascist and kind of corporatist. I'm not saying it was 100%, but you, you see the world, uh, especially before and a little after World War II, like fascism was a thing and organizing your society around these kind of syndicates or these corporate groups was a real thing. It wasn't, you know, we, we get taught in our history book, oh, evil, evil Italy, evil Mussolini, you know, and then once uh, Mussolini was killed in Italy, you know, left the, the bad guys and joined the good guys. They left the Axis and joined the allies. But you don't really realize that the intellectual kind of seductive ideology of corporatism and fascism really 
was sweeping the world. There were a lot of people in America and Great Britain and Europe uh, saying, boy, this might be a good way to, to run a country. And various levels of fascism and corporatism were employed. So I want to talk a little bit about Germany. And I think, you know, this is the easiest one for, you know, it's kind of like inflammatory as soon as you talk about Nazi Germany, but I think it's going to be one of the easiest ones for for us to get our mind around. And I think it's analogous to what we're seeing in America today. Now, as soon as you go, oh, these guys are like the Nazis. I'm not saying Joe Biden is a Nazi. He's a, he's a senile old man. He's, uh, he's experiencing all kinds of cognitive decline. I don't care if you're offended by that. Just listen to the man speak. Watch his facial expressions. He is a little lost. He has moments of poignancy and focus and other moments where you're like, this guy is just wondering when he's going to get his next fruit cup. I mean, it's kind of, it's sad actually. But I'm not accusing him of being a fascist. I'm not accusing him of being a Nazi. But I think the Nazis are a good example for us. So let's talk a little bit about what happened. You know, you've got Hitler who took over the country. He was an elected official, by the way. Now, he, he once he got in, he kind of got, <laughs> he consolidated power and didn't need to be continually elected. But he was elected in. The Nazi party was a socialist, a nationalist socialist party. What that meant was They were more interested in a socialism that was German in nature and focused on the German people. This was not a socialism for the world. They weren't interested in global socialism, which is communism. This is why the the Germans had to fight the communists, the Bolsheviks in Russia, because the the Bolsheviks and, and the communists and the Stalinists in Russia, their vision was for the whole world to become communist. In fact, Marx's teaching was that it's inevitable. It's kind of like an evolutionary thing that an economy, especially a capitalist economy, it just has to evolve eventually into a, a socialist ca- communist country uh, economy. And so their vision was the whole world would become engulfed by communism. The reason they were at odds with the Germans is the Germans are like, screw you. We really don't care what you do. We don't care what others do. We're doing socialism. It's Germany first. It's not a global brotherhood. It's not a global socialist a hug fest. It's Germany. We're German. We're proud to be German. Germany, Germany, Germany. Germany first. <laughs> the difference with Germany is they weren't saying, uh, you know, where Trump is saying America first, and you should say England first, and you should say Ireland first, and you should say Spain first. And we'll all just kind of come to the table realizing that we're advocating for our own needs. I think that for for Hitler, it was like Germany first, second, and last. We're everything. We don't. It's not about a global communism. It's about Germany dominating the world. By the way, I have to stop for one second. If you're listening to this podcast and you're in Ireland right now, I want to give you a shout out. I want to recognize my Irish listeners. I was looking at my data the other day. My biggest group of listeners comes out of the U.S. The second biggest group comes from from Ireland. How could that be? I don't know. I'm, I'm big in Ireland, but I want to thank you. You guys are great. Thanks for listening. And it's funny. It's not just like one city where I've got one person who's listening to like it's all over the country. And I just think that's amazing. I have no idea how that's happened. Um, my mother's maiden name is Hallahan. I don't know. You can't tell. You can't tell that by looking at me or listening to me. But somehow uh, Ireland coming in at a strong second, a strong second behind behind, uh, you know, the U.S., my, my home country. So uh, nod to my Irish listeners. Love you guys. Thank you so much. So here we are in Germany. We've got the Nazis, and they are organizing their society. Now, here's why I want to, like, kind of, you know, talk about this. 
What they did is they got this kind of corporatist organization going. And, and what Germany did, and Hitler and his people did, the Nazis did, is they created a partnership between the business world, this kind of corporate group of businesses, and the government. So the government, as we all know, in Nazi Germany had very strong ideological positions. You know, they talked about the purity of the German people. They were very hostile, very anti-Semitic, very hostile to the Jews living in Germany. They blamed them of being unclean, of being selfish, of lacking any kind of virtue, of being subhuman. And then from that ideology, they justified the wholesale murder of millions of human beings. Millions of human beings. Now, in that group of human beings, there were some pretty bad people, and there were some pretty good people. Just like in Germany, there are some bad people, there are some good people. Any group of people, there's going to be bad and good. This isn't about the Jews are virtuous and the Germans lack virtue. This is what mankind does to one another. But there were women and children murdered wholesale in Germany, men that just wanted to care for their families, do their job, mind their business. They weren't trying to undermine the country. They weren't selfish or nasty or dirty or evil. These were just human beings trying to care for those they loved and find a way to live a fulfilling life. And in this ideology that Hitler had of, of, the purity of the German people, the, the Ubermensch, you know, some of this uh, Nietzsche's ideology, this lack of uh, necessary truth, meaning what is good, what is evil, it's just what's good for us. Getting into some pagan ideas and so on and some, some dark stuff. I mean, Hitler justified through this ideology, the wholesale murder of a race of people. It's just wicked, 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 evil. But what they did to make this work, most people, most Germans living their life had to participate in this lie. Well, how do you do that? You know, like if you want to go to your job, you just mind your business. You don't have to, like in America so far, this is going away. You used to be able to just ignore all this stuff. Like I'm not interested. I'm going fishing, hunting. I'm going to, you know, work on my hobby. I'm going to make YouTube videos. I'm going to, you know, whatever it is you're into, you could ignore the world around you and just do your thing. You were left alone. You couldn't do that in a country like Germany because here's what would happen. The German government would get in bed with these really big corporations. And what they would do is they'd say, look, we're going to give you plum contracts. We're going to give you fantastic opportunities to make what? Make a ton of money. You're going to beat out your competition. You're going to make a ton of money. You're going to get huge and you're going to benefit from this. But what we need you to do in return is both A, supply us, but B, we want you to implement the Nazi ideology. So if there's somebody working for you that refuses to join the Nazi party, they need to get demoted. They need to lose their job. They need to be told that they can't work there. And what we want to do is we want to push everybody out of society, give them no opportunity to make a living, no opportunity for material security, no opportunity for meaningful work. We need to ostracize them and belittle them and undermine their ability to be independent and sovereign human beings. And we can do this through their work, and by doing that, you start turning people that they care about against them, their communities, their coworkers, their, even their family members get to be turned against them. 
And you get this dynamic happening when the government and giant corporations work together. Now, you can kind of see where I'm going with this, but let me give you a quick list of some of these organizations, these corporations in Germany. And this is not exhaustive. And you can find this list. I, just go right to, I mean, if you Google uh, Nazi corporations or businesses that help the Nazis, whatever, you'll find like there's a a chart on uh, Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia, not known for being conservative, um, gets accused often of modifying the truth against conservative ideals. They list it out there. So here's just some of them. Audi, BMW, BASF, Bayer, Deutsche Bank, Focke-Wulf, uh, Hoechst, Hugo Boss, Krupp, Mercedes-Benz, Siemens, Volkswagen. I mean, Audi, they benefited. They got slave labor. They actually manufactured Zyklon B. Uh, BASF, uh, they provided Zyklon B, the raw materials to make that, some sodas necessary to make Zyklon B. If you don't know, Zyklon B was used in the concentration camps to gas the Jews. You put them in, this is how you exterminate them. Uh, Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank, they financed the construction of concentration camps. Uh, Focke-Wulf, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right. They were, you know, one of these, they manufactured some of the fighting planes, the German fighting planes. Hoechst, uh, they did mining and steel production. Hugo Boss did a lot of propaganda for the Nazis and manufactured their uniforms. They didn't design the uniforms, but they manufactured them. Uh, Krupp, which is now Thyssen Krupp, they did. They made Zyklon B. They made tanks, U-boats. Uh, Mercedes-Benz benefited from slave labor from uh, the concentration camps. Siemens, we all heard about Siemens slave labor. They manufactured trucks and so on. And the list goes on and on. All these companies were benefiting from the Nazi machine. And in return, they were saying, we will implement Nazi policy into our workforce. So you can imagine that the, the tens and hundreds of thousands of people that they employed. And so what you'd get was, if you didn't, just think of yourself, let's say you worked for, you worked in the factory at uh, the Mercedes-Benz plant and you were on the assembly line. You made a decent living. You got some good training. You had some good benefits. Like, you know, you were comfortable. You weren't high in the sky. You were just, uh, you're just a good, you know, working class fella taking care of your family. Got a couple nice children. Very nice Fraulein at home. Uh, actually, I, I said that would be a Frau. A Frau. Fraulein would be sing, single. I don't know. Don't know my German. And you would be making a living. Now they come out and say, hey, look, uh, new policy. Uh, we want to help the country. We've got all these enemies. You guys are patriotic. You need to join the Nazi party. You've got a month to do so. Those of you that don't join the Nazi party, we respect your choice. Um, and uh, But if you do join, you're going to get some benefits. That's how it starts. So some people join. Why not? Get these extra benefits. Uh, I love my country. Next thing you know, the campaign starts. If you haven't joined the pressure, pressure, now we're going to start to dock your pay. We're going to give you the shittier jobs. We're going to start treating you poorly. Now you're a second class citizen. Next thing you know, you've lost your job in a matter of uh, half a year to a year. And not only have you lost your job, there's no sympathy. Your coworkers are angry and hostile. You're one of the traitors. You're probably a Jew sympathizer. You're probably helping our enemies to undermine the Vaterland. I mean, it just, it gets out of control, this group think. And so this is what happens in a corporatist society. You get this marriage between these corporate groups, agriculture, science, business. I mean, it's not just corporations, but we're going to focus on corporations right now. You get these corporate groups that represent various sectors and segments of society aligning with the government. Now, the government's handing out plum opportunities. 
and then they're benefiting from it. And then what they're doing is they're implementing the government, the state's policies of the day. And this works in science too. You can sit and say, well, science is pure. It's different. So if Dr. Fauci's telling me this, it's got to be true. But the fact of the matter is the government hands out things like grants. They have the plumb positions of power and authority. If you want to rise the ranks uh, in the scientific community as a scientist, you got to learn to play along to get along. And um, the government can say, we don't really like the look on your face. We're not going to give you that grant. I mean, this whole thing is just really tangled up. And so all these institutions, these corporate groups, agriculture groups, science groups, business groups start to push out the state's ideology, not the state's, uh, you know, science, not the state's understanding of the world, the state's ideology. It doesn't care about human beings. It doesn't care about individuals. It is an ideology, a theory, and it forces everyone to live by it. Let's take it off of COVID-19. Right now, the state is pushing a transgender ideology that you can choose your sex, that you can be whatever you want, that children actually should be given drugs to change them over. If a, if a little kid at nine years old says, I think I'm a girl, well, let's get this kid on puberty blockers ASAP. Let's get like, let's, and these things have lifelong ramifications. You sterilize a human being, you put them on puberty blockers long enough. If they get older and say, oh, that was just a phase. Like I, I was kind of insecure and I, I don't know, I thought I was, a girl just because it was kind of the cool thing. And I was a little over, I felt, you know, my parents are going through divorce or whatever. And now I'm kind of getting older. I'm like, I really like girls. Like, wow, look at that girl. Forget it. That guy can't have a family. If he's been on those puberty blockers long enough, he's been sterilized. It's just, it's destroyed him as a human being. It's destroyed his sexuality, which is a core part of our identity, as you know. So, so the government has an ideology. Not very long ago, transgenderism and, and body dysphoria and sexual uh, gender dysphoria, they were considered psychological weaknesses, flaws, or sicknesses. And I, I would argue that that's probably the case. Like, you, you know, there's things about the brain. You can say, well, they're just wired that way. But there's, there are things that happen, damages, like, like your, your whole body image lives in your right hemisphere, specifically the, the partial front lobe, carries your whole body image. People that have damage to that, to that right front lobe or right hemisphere damage will often experience body dysphoria. The right, the right hemisphere helps us to understand our body and feel that our body is part of who we are. It's, it's, there's a whole body image and it makes us feel like, well, yeah, my body, I'm Mike. I'm, this is physically me. I'm walking around. When you see me, that's me. People that have damage to that side of their brain or uh, even just um, uh, stress on it where it's degraded in some way start to sense, often feel, experience gender and body dysphoria, meaning I don't think my body is part of me. I feel detached from it. I feel alienated from it. That's not a natural feeling. That's not how human beings were designed to operate. That's often through some type of uh, either congenital genetic lack, a, 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 a weakness, or some type of environmental slash, you know, fill in the blanks or injury where that person is experiencing something that they were not intended to experience. The ideology of our government is to say, no, that's normal, that's natural. Now, I understand wanting people to feel loved and accepted. I have no problem with people being embraced 
as a human being, carrying God's image, saying, look, you, you're important. You matter. We love you. We want to care for you. I get that. I don't have a problem with that. That's not an ideology. That's, that's goodness. That's necessary truth. That's goodness to love individuals, to love human beings, to give them dignity and respect. Christianity has been trying to teach that for centuries. People don't want to hear it for millennia. That's what it's all about. But at the same time, don't ask me to say something that's not true. If you're walking around, uh, born a male, you've got male chromosomes, you've got male reproductive organs, even if you've had them cut off, I'm sorry, you're not magically made into a woman. I know that's blasphemy in today's world. I know that you can get fired working at some of these big corporations in today's world. Look at all the nonsense with just packaging. We've, I've had a bunch of people on my YouTube channel comment on my Uncle Ben's rice video where I talk about Uncle Ben getting stripped from uh, the packaging because Mars Corporation is just kowtowing out of fear. They're just sycophantic, trying to make sure everyone thinks they're so woke and so thoughtful. Meanwhile, they're just trying to make their billions. They're just trying to please people to make a buck. And so when you give corporations that access to the government, the government gives them plum opportunities to make a ton of money, but at the same time says, we want you to implement our ideology because the government can't knock on your door. I mean, they can, but it's hard to knock on everybody's door and force them to do what you want them to do day in and day out. But I can get you through your work. I can get you through your church and synagogue. I can get you through your volunteer organizations. I can get you in all the different institutions, the educational institution. My goodness, there's one. I can get you through all those. And so the government will find ways to implement its ideology. And so that's where we are today. We are looking at a world where there's an ideology that's saying everyone has to get vaccinated. It doesn't matter what the data says. We're not actually interested. We don't even have enough data to know what it's saying. Any data that there is, we're not allowing anyone to see it. You can't see it. You know, if you're going to tell me the vaccine is safe, and it may be safe. I don't want to, I'm not trying to go on record saying I know for a fact I don't trust it. It's a new technology. We've struggled. Now people go, oh, we've been doing this technology for years. We have never successfully implemented this technology. We've been trying to do it for years and that's different. We've unsuccessfully done it. We've implemented it. Uh, we've tested it with children in Indonesia or the Philippines. That that test went sideways. Those kids, I, I mean, this is pre-COVID, like we've done it for dengue fever and different things. And it, it was a train wreck. We killed people with this stuff. We have not been able to crack the code. And all of a sudden we did. Boom. Oh, we got it. I'm sorry. I want more data. I think we should wait before we force everyone to take it. Since when does the government have autonomy over anyone's body? Since when? My goodness, the left has been screaming, you know, my body, my choice. And, and, and now they're throwing it back at it. Oh, look at you hypocrites. Now you care about my body, my choice. No, we've always said my body, my choice. We're just saying that the baby's body matters. <laughs> and the thing about it is, oh, I don't even want to get into it. I don't even want to get into it. It, it. I mean, I could go on and on, as you can tell. But since when have we allowed the government to have autonomy over our bodies. For what? For something that we're not even sure is really that deadly, isn't even that dangerous. Yes, it's miserable. Yes, it's it's not easy to deal with. Yes, there are some concerns, but there are other ways to deal with it. If the, if the best solution we have is to lock down society and to force everyone to take an experimental drug that has no transparency, then I don't know where we're going. And you know, the other, the other element to this is you've got all these corporate, massive corporations that are providing these drugs. 
and their interest is not in your interest. They are not aligned with you. So in a, in, and you go, but Mike, I thought you were a free market guy. I thought you were a business guy. I totally am. And we're going to get to solution in a second here. I'm going to transition just half a second. But in a free market, there's a check and balance. There's a natural check and balance. I buy something from you and you screw me over. I'm never going to buy from you again. And I'm going to tell everybody how you screwed me over. So you're incentivized to treat me right. I might overpay or it might not be the best quality, but you're not going to screw me. And if you do, and this happens in the market, if you do, you get burned. I may, I, it might cost me something, but you get burned in the long run. It's not good for business. You've got these guys like Pfizer, J&J, and so on. There's no check and balance. They're completely, if, if this thing, if, you're, if your husband or wife gets this thing and it kills them, you can't take them to court. You can't take them to court. It's just not, they're protected by Congress. And this was before COVID. And on top of it, because it's an emergency approval, you, I mean, good luck. You can't, so you can't even get the information to make your case to try to take them to court. You can't do it. It's not legal. So there's no incentive to check these guys because they've got the government pushing this drug on everybody, this technology, I should say, on everybody. They're, they're getting to the point, they're trying to force everybody to take this. And they're, and they're starting by getting the large corporations to jump on board. So all these big companies, all these big medical centers, et cetera, these medical systems, they're jumping on board and saying to their employees, you're going to have to take this thing. This is where it's going. It's, we're talking days. It's, we're just days away from this. And the government gets what it wants. Now you could say, but the government wants the right thing. I don't know. I have not, I, you can't convince me that the government wants the right thing. You know, I haven't had a father for 20 years now. I'm 54 years old. In my mid thirties, my father died. He died because he was exposed to Agent Orange. My father fought in Vietnam and he was exposed to Agent Orange. He was a veteran. He signed up. He wasn't even drafted. He joined the military to fight for his country, what he thought was right. He got exposed to Agent Orange and for 20 years before he died, so I've been without a father for 20 years, for almost 20 years, he was a husk of a man. He was emasculated. He was sick. He couldn't work. He was a wreck. They wrecked him as a young man. He was 40 years old, so about 15, yeah, almost 20 years. He was, uh, uh, he looked like an Auschwitz survivor, honestly, when he died. My dad was a big guy. He was skin and bones. It, it destroyed his body, enfeebled him, and it stole 20 years of his living life from him. And then days after turning 59 years old, days after not even making it to 60, he died. And do you know who was a proponent of that? The CDC. The CDC said, Agent Orange, great stuff. And when my father went through the process of saying, I want to apply for any type of government aid, because there was some aid out there like, hey, if you were exposed to Agent Orange, we want to do right by you. He went through all the application process. They dragged him up and down. And in the end, they denied his application. And I remember watching him weep at the kitchen table when he got the letter in the mail. So this is a little personal for me, and I'm not wound up from a personal perspective. I'm just saying, if you think that you can trust the government, you are a fool. Ask the folks in the Tuskegee experiment, ask the people in Rochester, New York, where I come from at the University of Rochester, where they injected them with radioactive material. Those are black folks, by the way. The, the things that they did, they, they infected people with syphilis and gonorrhea, black people again. The government did this in living memory. So don't tell me all of a sudden that the government always has our best interests. Now, I'm not anti-government. I want transparency. 
put this data on the table. Let us look at it. Why are you forcing us to do something? And we don't even know anything about it. Why am I supposed to blindly follow? Well, this is how you get to a Nazi Germany. I refuse to blindly follow. So here's what you can do. You're sitting there going, well, what do we do about this, Mike? You're all wound up. What do we do? If you're still listening, here's what we can do. First of all, start supporting privately owned businesses. This is often happening through giant corporations. Your local business that, you know, so let's say you're going to buy, you want to buy a lawn tractor. You know, you could buy one from a company that's on the, that's publicly traded. I'm assuming John Deere's publicly traded, you know, don't quote me on that. But you can go to one of these giant corporations, really big companies, even if it's privately owned, it's huge. They're selling them all over the globe, huge brand, et cetera. These are the guys that are implementing these programs. You could buy from them, or you can do a little bit of research and say, well, there's a regional manufacturer up here in Wisconsin that makes really great equipment, family owned. Uh, you know, they love their employees. They love their town that they're based in. They make good, good product, good jobs. Start looking around for local privately owned, small, medium-sized businesses. When I say small, that could be 200 people. Small doesn't have to be, you know, it could be a a biggish company, but it's small, privately owned. Start buying from these people. And I would say go through and audit your life. Look at all these giant corporations that you're giving money to. I mean, I've got them. I'm giving some money to Spotify every month. I'm giving some money to Netflix. You know, I'm, I'm doing business with big corporations. And I'm not saying that you should cleanse yourself of all sin by getting rid of all big corporations. But look at your life and say, where am I buying from? Am I buying my groceries at a farmer's market or am I buying them, you know, from a conglomerate? Start buying from people that respect their employees, that respect their community, that, that are actually tied to their community. Because here's what happens. When you're situated in a community, you're serving a community, you're employing the people you have to look people in the eye. You're not some faceless, nameless, giant board and some high rise in a giant city in America or Europe. No, you're on the board of the bank. Your kids play at the same high school games as their kids and so on. You have to look people in the eye. You're a, 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 a father or a mother, if you will, matriarch of your community. You're, you're invested. And so you want to do what's right by everybody. And you're not going to start firing people because they didn't get a shot. You're going to say, hey, look, if you want to get the vax, that's your thing. If you don't, I get it. Let's wash our hands. Let's not spit and cough in each other's face. Uh, Try not to lick the doorknobs, people. Like, let's act like adults because here we are. We got to work. We got to do a good job. Start supporting these companies. Look for them. Find them and support them. And then on the other hand, when you're doing business with a big corporation that's doing some bullshit... Start writing letters, start getting your friends, complain, boycott, let these companies know, I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to stop doing business with you. We've got to start pushing back. These companies want to make money. And if we start pushing back and say, we're not doing business with you because this is immoral. I'm not going to do business with a company that treats its employees this way. It's immoral. If we start doing that, they will take notice because they care about the money. They start to have a 5, 10, 12% hit on their on their top line revenue that, that flows to the bottom of the sheet. Like they care about that in a big way. They lose their mind when that happens. We have more power than we realize. And yet we're just, the problem is we're all wound up online. We're sharing memes back and forth. We're making snide comments and jokes. We're, you know, we're starting to gun up. That's all. Those things are fine. They're fine. And if you're offended by me saying gunning up is fine, well, like, you know, oh, I can't help you. 
But at the end of the day, you got to get a little bit more practical, a little bit more pragmatic. You got to live day to day and you can have a real impact by starting to do business and supporting companies that actually treat their employees ethically and morally. Let's get off this whole rainforest ethical moral nonsense. Let's get off of this virtue signaling. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's do business with real people in real companies that care. Let's make these bigger corporations feel it. Start pulling the money out. Stop investing in them. Look at your portfolio. Look at the way you live. Look at where your money goes and stop funneling money to the very people that are trying to kill us. Guys, as always... (laughs) How's that for a close? As always, I hope this is useful. I know I get a little wound up. I hope you got something out of it. Do me a favor, get in touch. You can contact me a few ways. Just go to my website, mikegaston.com. There's a contact form there. Some folks do that on a regular basis. They listen to a pod and they shoot me a note. I love it. I really appreciate that. And I don't mind critique. Like, hit me up. If you got an issue with what I say, I'm a big boy. Hit me. Let me know what you think. Be respectful and I'll respect you back. I would also encourage you, sign up for my newsletter. That's also on the homepage. Look down the footer, I think. There's a, a form there. But on the homepage, MikeGaston.com, you can sign up for my newsletter. I send out little bits and pieces on a regular basis that are designed to help you find your way. Build competency, tips, tricks, advice, all for our success and thriving. If you don't know by now, let me tell you something, guys. I love you all. And I will catch you in the next episode. <laughs>